0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and our guest tonight has the most difficult name of anyone I've had <laughs> on the podcast. So I'm going to try to pronounce it correctly, and then inevitably he will correct me Helga
1: Hinnegar. That's pretty close. I go by Helgi just because. I don't know why I had to pick something, so that's okay. what I picked.
0: All right. Well, Helgi, thanks for being generous there. That I, I got it wrong, even though you repeated it a few times before we started recording. It's all good. Well, thanks for being with us. Um, you are the dad of five kids.
1: I am indeed. Yes. Um, every man has to have one expensive hobby, and they'd be mine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I only have one. So how do you, how do you balance that with work and everything else? How do you how do you keep everyone happy, and the answer is probably that you don't keep everyone happy, but how do you keep it all together?
1: <laughs> I, I, you might be onto something. I think having a patient wife definitely helps with all of that. And, <laughs> and you know, trying to maintain some semblance of work-life balance, but it's probably tipped more towards work than life for longer than I'd care to admit.
0: Sure. I think that's true of most people. Well, you have a really fascinating story, so I want to get right to it. As we've discussed, you know, on this podcast, we talk about uh, career paths. We talk about the organization you work for. We talk about some of the projects you're working on. And you are not a U.S. native. So I want to hear a little bit about that. How did you make your way from Germany to the U.S.? And what have you been doing ever since? Yeah.
1: So I grew up in Berlin, Germany, West Berlin uh, back in the day because the city was still divided. Um, I, early on in my, relatively early on in my life, um, while I was going to college in Hamburg, ran into a Fort Wayne native And Ah. she sort of swept me off my feet and became Uh my patient wife. Okay. All right. um, We've been back and forth a number of different times. Um, You know, we're still both in college when we met. So um, I spent a year going to PFW, and then we moved back to Germany, and um, that's when I first headed into kind of the world of advertising. While I was going to college, I thought I was going to be a journalist. Okay. And I think a surprising number of marketing people kind of take that yeah. take that track. Um, and um, I'm gonna start dating myself a whole lot real early, but uh, this was when um, that Pan Am flight got uh, bombed out of the sky mm-hmm. over Lockerbie mm-hmm. and yeah. another intern just kind of walked into my office crying because they just decided that she was gonna to have to call um, the the relatives of those people that had just died and ask him wow. for their reaction. Wow. And that was the first time I asked myself whether I really wanted to do this for a living or not. I yeah. mean, sure. this was for a tabloid, so there probably would have been some options but I um, sure. uh, ended up interning at an ad agency as a copywriter and um, the creative director this was Darcy Mazius Benton and Bowles and, and Homburg so pretty big okay. international shop and um, the creative director there when I left told me that if I ever wanted a job to come look him up and I was uh, brazen enough to do yeah, that and sure. started working there okay
0: all right, so so you came into this world as a writer, yeah, and you're obviously bilingual. You speak very fluent and, and better English than most of the native English speakers <laughs> I, I've met. Um, so you you have written creatively in both languages. Is that yeah. true? Does what challenges does that present?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest stuff that trips you up are kind of the the idioms. So when I, <laughs> the, when we moved to the States the first time around, I sort of, this was after a couple of two and a half years in the writing world and I moved to Fort Wayne. I thought, well, my writing life is obviously over because who's going to be crazy enough to hire somebody, a, a foreigner to do their copywriting yeah. for them when there's all kinds of perfectly good Americans running around. <laughs> um, so my first job here in Fort Wayne was actually at Instant Copy. I don't know if you were around Fort I Wayne. I do remember the name. It was a thing. Yep. 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 Um, so, you know, right here downtown and um, worked in pre-press um, because I'd played enough. So when I first started writing, like my tools of the trade were a pad of paper and a pencil. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Was that
0: on Van Buren Street, just north of Journal Gazette, or do I have that
1: wrong? No, Ferguson was uh, right across from the courthouse on uh, okay. 803 South Calhoun Street. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, Still know their phone number, well, hard too. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, oh no, I'm Sorry. The uh, instant copy that yes. was um, right where basically were the fancy steak places. The name of which I can't think of right now. Ruth Chris. Okay, Ruth's all right, place. okay. The uh, steak place with a tongue twister built in. Yeah, with some with a possessive for no reason. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, there's a story behind that, but <laughs> that's another podcast for, with another person. I think. <laughs> Um, so anyways, um, I worked there in pre-press for about a year and this was back before agencies had color printers and the Ferguson folks would come down there and, um, just, you know, print out layouts and, uh, started have conversation with them and, you yep. know, you get to know people and they told me that they were about to lose a copywriter uh-huh. that was, uh, starting his own music business. So I put my book together and applied cause I figured I didn't have anything to lose and, uh. They were nice enough to hire me. And um, so you asked about the things that trip you up. I did, I was known for some Helgeisms early on. You know, when you write stuff <laughs> sure. and you kind of think you know what you're doing. And then somebody <laughs> says, well, that's not really, I think, what you're trying to say there. Um, Rich Ferguson, um, so I worked, you know, back in the the Rich Ferguson and um, Nancy yep. Wright running the place, Dave. Yep. And Rich was a very... Patient, kind mentor with a good sense of humor. So, you know, that the ones that tripped me up, he usually caught and, yeah. and uh, um, kind of helped me along the way. But, you know, I was young enough then that I was still learning how to write anyway. So it was part of it was just language thing and part of it was just, sure. you know, learning how to, how to copyright.
0: Sure, sure. So, so going, going back a step, when was it that you first moved to the US?
1: That would have been in ninety four.
0: Okay, so ninety four. Yes. So um, that's actually when I first moved to Indiana. It was ninety four <laughs> from Massachusetts. Did what were your first impressions of Indiana, of the U.S., of of everything you were you were confronted with, if you will?
1: Yeah. Um, so I actually the first time I came to Indiana was in the winter, a couple of years prior. So obviously, I thought it was brown and. Cold,
0: yeah, kind of like it is today on April twentieth when we have yeah. snow and brown and cold. Yeah, <laughs> well, the grass
1: is green under the snow, so yeah. we've got that going for us. <laughs> so I thought that, and I mean, the, when you grew up in Europe, and especially in in West Berlin, where you're a, where you were around a lot of Americans, because I lived in the American sector, so I grew up with Hueys flying overhead and, and yeah. you know American military vehicles going down the, the main street from time to time. And you watch TV shows about the States and it's not like I ever, I, I grew up dreaming of moving to the States, but I was definitely intrigued. You know, sure. you are exposed to an awful lot of American culture growing up in Europe. So sure. to me, it was just a, I, I came here kind of with a sense of wonder and exploration maybe. Mm. And I mean, I also came here to, you know, hang out with my girlfriend. yeah. So there, yeah. there was
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So you're you're at you're at going back to where we left off. You you went to Ferguson and you were there for quite some time, correct? Yep.
1: Yeah, right. I was at Ferguson for I think seven years altogether. I left for a little while to work at Vorderman Volkswagen. Vordeman was one of our clients at the time. And I was kind of in a phase where, you know, I kind of tipped into copywriting and marketing communications by by accident, sure. right? I mean, you know, I had this internship, I had this opportunity, I took it. And um, I kind of fell in love with boredom and this was just when they were moving from their like little place on Lay Road to the big dealership that they're still in today and started moonlighting there just because I like cars yep. and um, worked on Saturdays a little bit. And then they asked me if I wanted to come sell cars for them. And I'm like, sure, I'll try it, you know, as a good way cause it was just a good way to explore whether something else would be sure. better for me. And sure. the first, like, deliberate sort of career move that I made turned out was not really for me. I enjoyed it for like a year, yeah. and then I started missing creative work. I also started missing having Saturdays off.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've experienced this with your with your older children, and I've experienced it recently. With I only have one one child. My son is twenty one. And he is doing a little hand-wringing wring- about career choice. And mm-hmm. I said, welcome to the rest of your life. You yeah. you will have that thought from time to time, even if you're fulfilled in your work. Yep. And so I think all of us um, have you know a sense that the grass may be greener somewhere else. We want to explore careers. And sometimes you do that and you find out the career you were in was the right career yeah. for you. But you do
1: that through trial and error. Yeah. But, you know, it's also, I think, fun to just go try new stuff. Sure. sure. I mean – after that year at uh, or year and a half at Vorderman, when I figured out that uh, I didn't really want to do this anymore, actually, as one of those aha uh-huh moments, I was out, I lived on three acres back then. I was mowing the yard and I was like halfway through mowing the yard and thinking about the fact that actually I was on vacation from Vorderman for the first time. I'm like, oh, this is really nice. I get to see my kids. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? Doing <laughs> So I shut the mower off. I went inside to see my wife and I said, would you mind if I like started looking for a job in advertising again? Because I don't really want to do this car sales thing anymore. And she yeah. looked at me and said, I was wondering when you're going to figure that out. <laughs> and you ended up back at, at Ferguson. Yeah. So
0: how did that, was it just sheer luck that there was a position open or how did that work?
1: I think there was definitely some luck involved. And um, I called Nancy and I don't know that they had necessarily a full-time writing position yeah. open, but... I'm also, like, I'm not a designer, even though I worked as kind of one for a while in Germany. That was pretty stressful. But um, I'm a pretty decent production artist. Um, This was when the internet was first starting, so I could dabble in that a little bit. And I think they liked me well enough that they were able to patch together enough job descriptions that they had enough stuff to keep me busy and make them money.
0: Got it. Yeah, you can be a, a, a pretty good utility player in this world. Yep. If you have the right skills, we've got a couple of those on our team who are sort of invaluable because they can do multiple things yep. and we can shift the workload as needed. So so I, if I remember correctly from looking at your LinkedIn profile, it was Ferguson. Was there another job between Ferguson and Fort Wayne Metals do I have that yes,
1: right? Yes, the, the, that job was in Germany. Okay. Yeah. So um, we decided at some point in our lives that it might be time to go back to Germany for a variety of reasons. But the, the most important one was I really wanted my kids to experience oh, what yeah. it was like to sure. grow up in, sure. in Germany. Because, you know, life here... I wouldn't say it's radically different, but there are a lot of nuances. Like I never rode in a school bu- bus in my life. My kids know. reassure me that I didn't really miss anything. But, you <laughs> yeah. know, in Germany, you walk to elementary school by yourself. Yeah. That's pretty unthinkable in Fort Wayne. I yeah. think a lot of people would get hives just thinking about making, you know, allowing yeah. their, their kids to walk to, to, to school. Sure. So I wanted them to, or we wanted them to have this experience. So... Um, we decided to um, move to Germany. And again, through sheer luck and and, uh, sort of some connections from my agency's uh, days at at Darcy, I got a job at um, a regional public transport authority as a, I think it was a graphics editor. And I thought it was going to be heavier on the editor part. It was Mm -hmm. pretty heavy on the graphics part. Okay. (laughs) So here I was, you know, a decent production artist trying to pretend to be a designer. sure. And I mean, sure. I was the best designer they had there because I was the only one. <laughs> but um, yeah. it was uh, it was outside of my comfort zone. It definitely stretched me. It made me an even better production artist. Sure, sure.
0: <laughs> so so how long were you back in Germany? Seven years. Seven years, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, I applaud you for doing that because one of the things, this might be a slightly controversial statement, but I think we in the US can, can believe that the entire world is like it is here. And to mm-hmm. see another part of the world, I think that's a really great experience yeah. for a number of reasons for your kids to yes.
1: have. Yeah, one of the, so the, just a little side story here, but um, we went to, when we moved to Germany, um, I went to Ikea with one of my, with my oldest son who was like at the time, maybe call it eight. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you go through Ikea at the end, they have, you know, the food stands and they had a big um, um, sign up that said uh, hot dogs without pork. And he said, "Is that for for um, Muslims?" Mm -hmm. And I said, "Yeah, because you know he grew up. He went to school with a number of Turkish kids, which is pretty normal in Germany." And he looked at me and was like, "Isn't it funny how in America everybody's Christian?" I'm like. I'm glad I brought you here. I also <laughs> question the way that I brought you up in the U.S. because, you know, yeah. obviously that statement's sure. far from true. But.
0: Sure, sure. Well, it's, it's good to, to challenge some of those preconceptions. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So, you're in Germany for seven years. You come back to the U.S. How do you land at Fort Wayne Metals?
1: Um, you know, I, I got lucky again. So, Fort Worth Metals has been a client of Ferguson Advertisings for a long time, uh-huh. and I did some writing for them. Um, I kind of struck up a, not quite friendship, but a, a friendly acquaintance with uh, their um, chief, what was he? Chief Commercial Officer, um, Bob Myers. Wonderful, wonderful gentleman. Um, I've worked for a lot of amazing people. So, um Bob knew that I went to Germany and found out pretty quickly after we uh, after we left the States that um, I moved to a town not too far from Dusseldorf and that's, um, there's a big medical trade show. Okay. And um, he kind of kept in touch every time he was in Dusseldorf, we'd get together for a yep. glass of wine or dinner and he introduced me to some other Fort people. And uh, when we decided to come back, it was just right smack in the doldrums of the uh, depression. Mm-hmm and or recession, I guess it wasn't. Yeah, it, it wasn't was close, really it was a, close to yeah, a right. depression. Yeah, felt, felt kind of depressing. <laughs> um, and I reached out to a number of different people, including um, John Ferguson. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned to Bob that, actually I had reached out to Bob too, but I think my email got caught in spam. So that was strange. Um, so John um, made Bob aware of the fact that I was thinking about coming back. And I think Bob would, was at a point where, I mean, he was, handling the marketing communications for all of Fort Worth Metals, which had grown at that point to about 550-ish people yeah. selling internationally, yeah. you know, going to trade shows in multiple sure. different countries. And I think Bob saw the opportunity to hire somebody that could take that off of his hands. So I got an email out of the blue saying, let's talk
0: Okay. While so, he's in Germany. So your position was a new position in effect. Yeah. Okay. All right. And now I'm going to transition to talk a little bit about Fort Wayne Metals because I think most people in Fort Wayne know the name, but the rest is kind of a mystery. I mean, yeah. my you and I talked before we hit record, but my knowledge is a very limited – I, I believe there's a plant in Ireland, and the only reason I know that is because I know Scott Glaze started J.K. O'Donnells yep. and was inspired by some things he saw in Ireland and yes. brought some pieces back from Ireland, yep. but that's probably the limit of what I know. So tell us a little bit about Fort Wayne Metals. So,
1: yeah, let's start with Fort Metals, and then we'll talk about Ireland, and yeah. then we'll talk about J.K.'s. There's a whole lot of stuff to <laughs> untangle here. So Fort Wayne Metals, basically, at the we make wire, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds pretty unspectacular until you learn that I would say probably a good 90% of our wire goes into the human body either temporarily or permanently. So, um, you know, our customers use our wire to make pacemaker leads. They use our wire to make stents, um, guide wire. So when you have minimally inverse invasive surgery and they put a stent in your heart, you know, they need something to get, guide the, the instrument from your uh, groin where they've, St- stick the wire into your sure. vasculature to the heart um, we make wire that goes into people's brains um, so it is highly precise you know none of none of what we do is commodity wire we don't have any shelves of material just sitting around waiting for customers to call and say you know ask if we have the a certain size sure. so everything we make is made to order it's high quality, it is tested rigorously, because it's probably
0: very rigorous from a regulatory standpoint, because it's going in the human body. Yep.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, we do some stuff for uh, non-medical applications too, um, but the vast majority of what we do, um, it it goes into medical. So anything where the performance of the wire is important, and basically, you know, you can't afford to to fail, that's kind of where we play. Um, one of the materials that I think is super cool that we make is nitinol, which is a, a nickel-titanium alloy that has shape memory, so you can set it to a certain shape. And if it's cold, you can like stretch it out and heat it back up. It returns automatically wow. to its own shape. Huh. So there's some really cool stuff. Yeah, the preconceptions, I think a lot of people think that we make like big steel girders or we recycle scrap metal or stuff like that. None of that's true. Okay. Um, the smallest wires we make right now are probably i want to say a tenth of the diameter of a human hair wow so it's really a lot of really tiny stuff
0: and was it founded by scott back in the 80s do i have any of that right
1: uh, it was scott uh, founded by scott's dad ardell in the 70s okay 71. so i was
0: wrong on both accounts but not
1: well you have the last name right, right that, that right, you didn't
0: good, mention good, so. Good. so i got one thing right yeah <laughs> um, and was it originally founded with the you know with the same application in mind or was it a different animal at that time
1: um I think it was founded mostly on precision. So, you know, Fort Wayne has been a wire town for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a lot of magnet wire stuff uh, going on in town. Actually, what um, our first claim to fame was that really hit it big was um, recording wire. Okay. So before there was magnetic tape or, you know, zoom recorders and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Sound was recorded on just Wire and it's still used, I think, in some um, like black boxes and planes because it's uh, resilient. Obviously, you know, disruptive technology came around. The uh, um, recording tape kind of destroyed that market pretty well overnight, and Ardell had to figure out what was next. And um, that was, I think, um, this was also during the time when, you know, medical device companies in the region kind of started kicking up and uh we formed some relationships with them and it was one of those things where you know when once you once they heard at least i don't know if that still works like that i, th- I think it still works like that today but when a company hears that you're kind of good at something they tend to push you in a certain direction because sure. if they have a vendor that they know can't quite do this yet but they trust that they will be able to yeah they will
0: They'd rather push someone they know than work with someone they don't yeah, exactly. know. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, so um, so you have, you're have headquartered in Fort Wayne. Yes. Plants where around the world?
1: So uh, we're headquartered in Fort Wayne. Most of our plants are here. We have uh, one facility in Columbia City where we actually melt nitinol. We've got some vacuum furnaces there that uh, you know, allow us to do precision melting. Um, We also have now two plants in Castlebar, Ireland, and we put those there to be closer to our European customers. Sure. Okay. All right. So let's talk
0: about your work then. How do you fit into this big picture? Who do you market to? How do you market to them? And what does everyone always says, you know, oh, there is no average day, but what are you typically working on on the average day?
1: So, um, we market to engineers more than anything else. Um, You know, those are the people that look to our materials to solve their problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really lead a small in-house creative team. There's... Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of writers other than me, and I don't really write all that much anymore sure. except for emails. Um, we have a designer, a multimedia design specialist, and a project manager. And um, we handle the vast majority of the creative that that uh, we, we also use. Um, we have a couple of other companies that we help out. We also handle the strategic internal communications. So to your point, there is really no... Typical day. But, you know, we try to keep up with the demands of Fort Metals. We try to make sure that we look good, that our materials are easily understood in multiple languages, that our employees know what's going on, that we, you know, take a look at new channels, uh, both internally and externally. Um, I definitely try to put most of my focus on marketing communications, but internal communications, I'd liken it to a wood chipper. Once you get your fingers in it, you just... <laughs> It never lets go, and you don't feel quite right coming out the other side.
0: <laughs> that's an interesting analogy that I've never heard before. I may borrow that sometime. That's fine. <laughs> so, um, in terms of the the big projects you're working on, there's something that we were discussing before we hit record that's really fascinating to me, and I'd love to learn more about it. I believe you said it's called the James Project. Yes. Now, for our listeners, we're going to go down a little bit of a path here. It's It's a you can explain it better than I am, but it's not Fort Wayne Metals' core business, but it's a passion project related to the business. Yeah. So with that, if you can take it yeah. row with it. Yep.
1: And I mean, I, I must say, um, preface this by saying that I my um, day-to-day involvement in the James project is pretty limited. This is very much a Fort Wayne Metals initiative, not sure. a Fort Wayne Metals communications department initiative. Sure. Um, And the story I want to take you back to is um, Scott Glaze's dad. So Scott is the chairman and CEO of Fort Wayne Metals. His dad founded Fort Wayne Metals. And um, the interesting part about Ardell's story is that I think he could have very easily taken a completely different path. And there's probably a multitude of alternate universes in which Fort Wayne Metals doesn't exist. Mm And that's because um, he grew up uh, in the Great Depression. Um, His home life was difficult. I don't know that his dad was in the picture a great Mm -hmm. deal. And he was kind of running the streets Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, make ends meet. And there was a bakery and the bakery had a coal chute and um, he was running around with a gang of boys. And since he was kind of this... Skinniest, scrappiest one of them all. They'd lower him down the coal chute. He'd go down there. He'd uh, get into the pecan storage, stuff his pockets with pecans. They'd pull him back up, and he'd pass out the pecans. Well, the baker, whose name is Mr. James, hence the name The James Project, um, noticed that there were pecans missing and um, also noticed that there was a gang of boys hanging around, put two to two together, and confronted him and said, hey, somebody's been stealing my pecans. Who was it? And Ardell stepped forward and said it was me, and Mr. James said well, you're going to have to work off your debt. Mm -hmm. And took this kid in, gave him basically a job to work off his debt. And, you know, he kept the job afterwards and kind of took him under his wing as a surrogate father and kind of put him on the path to, um, you know, having a work life and having ambitions and seeing his potential and, um, you know, turned him or helped turn him into the person that, ultimately started Foreign Metals and that um, you know ultimately started a company that now employs 1,200 people. Mm-hmm. And um, the James Project, I think, is Scott's way of paying that forward a little bit. So um, he bought the old Mr. Wiggs building on Hannah Street that I think had been a church and just kind of been sitting empty for a while, refurbished it completely, and turned it into a manufacturing facility um, with the purpose of making work available to and making opportunities available to Fort Wayne Southeast side. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this is a demographic that we've been trying to attract for a little while. And um, there are just so many roadblocks for um, them to come to work for Fort Wayne Metals. We have a pretty uh, rigorous testing um system to screen applicants that um, if you haven't had, you know, uh, the, a great high school education, you might not be able to pass. Whereby by the airport, no bus runs there. So if you don't have a car, you're not going to be able to come work for us. Um, the James Building is by a bus stop on Hannah Street. Um, we will hire people there without the screening and basically train them on the job until they can... Um, Pass the test and then go on to become, uh, you know, a wire drawer, or um, you know, t- t- basically to to fulfill any function at Fort Wayne Metal. So it's a really a way to give people a, a leg up sure. um, and and allow. I think it's kind of Scott's way of trying to do for other people what um, Mr. James did for for his dad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's fascinating, and it's. Uh, what's interesting one of the many things that's interesting to me about Fort Wayne metals is it's not one business there have been other enterprises that yep. are part of the umbrella organization yes. if you will um you know you you mentioned jK O'Donnell's mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I, I learned over the years is that Scott Glaze actually started J.K. O'Donnell's. Yep. Um, there was also, at one point, I think there was, I don't know if it still exists, a fish farm that was involved. Yep. So yeah, we did what are some that. of the other enterprises that are <laughs> current or, or that have been part of the business?
1: So J.K.'s is another great story, I think, of, of Scott just doing something because it's the right thing. This was, you know, so... um you remember what Fort, downtown, uh, Fort Wayne downtown was like. When I worked at Ferguson, you yeah. know, the sidewalks got rolled up at about 5 p.m. and downtown yeah. was dead.
0: I tell my younger coworkers that when I, I started working at Asher in 2004, mm-hmm. so not all that long ago, but my lunch choices were Coney Island, Double Dragon, Dash in, loaf and ladle, and that was about it. Yeah. And now you could go to a different place every day and still in a month you wouldn't have hit every option you yeah. have. Very different environment at that time.
1: Yeah, when I first started started uh, working downtown, Dash in didn't exist.
0: Okay, all right. Um,
1: So we had, I think, Coney Island, Cindy's, I think the Cindy's. Soda Fountain. Okay. Which if you haven't been to the Soda Fountain, huge shout out to... Okay. Um, down in Lincoln Tower. If, right. if you like milkshakes, that's the place to be. Oh, really? Yeah. I pass it. I often walk
0: to work from about a mile away yep. and I pass it, but I've never been in there, so yeah. I have to give it a shot. You, you, you really need to. That's the whole reason I do this podcast right. is to learn great places to eat. <laughs> no, so you mentioned, you know, Jay, What here's here's what I saw happen downtown. Is you First, the library was built and I was yep. like, oh, that's a cool building that didn't have to be a cool building. That's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And then... J.K. O'Donnell's was, sh- was not too long after that, and I was yep. like, oh, this... Because I'll, I'll admit, I was skeptical when I heard there's going to be an authentic Irish pub, I was like, what's it going to be, a Bennigan's? Yep. And then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I was wrong. This is really cool. Yeah,
1: and the reason Scott put that there, I think, is because he has always been a supporter of vibrant downtowns and the downtown improvement district, and it was just, I think, a case of Scott putting his money where his mouth is. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that he ever really felt the urge to run an Irish pub, but he wanted a destination downtown and he wanted to prove to everybody that said it couldn't be done that it could damn well be done. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and he's right. Turns yeah. out that it's it's been a good move. Yep. Yeah. So um, so in addition, you've got the the James project under the Fortman Metals wing. You've got the J.K. Donald story. What are you personally? What are some of the things you're putting your time into that are time intensive, that are keeping you up at night, that excite you, or yeah. maybe a combination of those things? So
1: the thing that probably excites me the most about uh, Fortman Metals marketing communications is that um, we spent over the last few years a fair amount of time. So when I first started there, it was just shoring up stuff, making sure that that, you know, our trade show booth looks right right, and kind of redesigning things. And, you know, I started all by myself. There was no team. And as we've grown our team and our bandwidth we have been able to kind of take a step back and be more deliberate about mm-hmm. how we approach our marketing communications. And over the last few years, we've uh, developed a brand persona for ourselves, um, which is approachable innovator. We've always been innovators, but like if you look at our current website, it's you know very clinical and yeah. sterile. And that's not really who we are as a company. Mm-hmm. If you talk to anybody at Fort Worth Metals, Metals, um, people are willing to have conversations. They're willing to listen. They are uh, usually fairly humble. They are always excited to help. And um, I wanted our brand to reflect that. So we developed this approachable innovator persona, and we're just in the process of going through all of our marketing communications materials and infusing sort of that approachable innovator feel to to everything that we do. And it's really cool. You know, we thought about this for a really long time, and it's really cool to see that come together, you know, f- once you figure out what an approachable innovator sounds like, what an approachable innovator looks like when you, you know, turn them into or into um, a marketing hand. Yeah. So that's what we're working on right now. We're starting to kind of have the first pieces put together. Some them we're going to take longer, like the website, but that's, that's super exciting. The other thing that's exciting uh, to me is that, um, We've been working with uh, Salesforce for a while as our um, CRM, and we've uh, recently added Pardot, and are working on you know building some marketing automation, um, completely different way of, of or a completely different chunk of a sort of, sort of marketing communication. So think about so the
0: communication plan that is automated, or is it more than that?
1: Um, well, it's whatever we want it to be, I guess. Okay, but all right. Um, There are some opportunities where fundamentally what I want that to do is I want our customer service representatives to have, spend less time working on things that could be automated so they can work on things where they bring value to our customers. And I think that will allow all of the work to kind of shift down a little bit so everybody in in sort of that value chain uh, facing customers will have more time to do the work. That, that's really helpful and, I hope, enjoyable.
0: Well, and it's a differentiator. Yep. Because, you know, at at some point, everyone's going to be deploying technology in the same way and mm-hmm. it's going to have less. Right now, it can be a competitive advantage, but the bigger competitive advantage is truly going to be your people and their ability to provide high levels of service yep. and yeah, and know the customer.
1: Yeah, yeah. and, you know, if I don't think, well, actually, I know as long as I'm going to be around that far, mouse is never going to turn into a place where you just talk to a computer. One of our strengths is the quality and um, the knowledge of our people. We have, you know, people there that have been working for us for 30 years and that just have that wealth of knowledge about the materials that they work with, about the customers that we deal with. And I want to be able to, you know, take a little bit of, of the grunt work and offload it off of them and allow them to to flex that muscle more.
0: Yeah, well, and, and a lot of investments in people. I, I mentioned that um, before we started recording that I've been a little bit involved in the internship program. And you have a really great internship yep. program, sort of a investment in people early on to help them develop, you know, in some cases into great Fort Metals employees, but yes. really preparing them well for whatever career path they
1: choose to pursue. Yep. And that's another passion, I think, of, of uh, Mr. Glaze's is, you know, a One of the things that Fort Metals does is we provide. If you work full time at Fort Metals and you want to go to school, Fort Metals will reimburse your tuition at the going IPFW or sorry PFW undergraduate rate. And we don't much care whether you get a degree to be a more effective Fort Metals employee, or if you get your degree to do something completely different. Yeah, Um, I remember the case of one employee that got a teaching degree and, you know, when they were done, they left foreign Mills, and Scott was completely fine with that because yeah. he believes in strengthening the community. It's not, you know, he's not the kind of guy that just wants to grow the company and, and get stupid rich in the process. I think he really does have that passion to make Fort Wayne and this region a better place. Sure.
0: Well, that's very rare and that's, that's, that's great. And in itself, it's a great a way to attract new employees. So it's it kind of helps you out anyway, yep. even if those folks aren't retained for an entire career. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's talk about what I call the speed round of the show, where All we right. go over some of the stuff we've talked about, but synthesize it a little bit. You've had a fascinating path um, and and have learned from folks who themselves have had a pretty great path. But if you could distill that down to some career advice, and this could be for... Someone who is aspiring to a career in marketing, someone at Fort Wayne Metals who's just getting started in their career. What's your best
1: career advice? Huh. Probably learn when to say no, but always tend towards saying yes. Okay. All right. Um, you know, I've done some stuff where I wasn't sure if I was going to succeed, mm-hmm. and I think. You know, if I think about my time in Germany, passing myself off as a designer, I was not a great success as a designer, mm-hmm. but I've learned a bunch of stuff and I am still glad that I did it. I'm still glad I went and sold cars. I have a whole new appreciation for salespeople and I also now know that marketing is what I really want to do. Yeah. So um, being open to learning, being open to opportunities, being curious around about the world and, and everything that's going on around you I think is really important.
0: All right. So let's talk a little bit about Fort Wayne Metals. And and I won't ask you, the, the question I typically ask people is, if you had to describe, you know, your organization succinctly, you do that all the time. So for you, it's too easy. So I'll give you a more <laughs> difficult question. What do you think is, is the thing you'd most want people to know about Fort Wayne Metals that maybe they don't know or maybe to clear up a misconception?
1: Huh. So the misconception, I think, is that we, you know, are, that we work with big metal stuffs and yeah. it's smelly and hot and, dirty and foreign metals is none of the above. All of our facilities are air conditioned. All of our facilities are clean. The stuff we make is much often much more often small than than big, like the biggest stuff we... Well, now that we melt, I guess the biggest stuff that we make is like 12 inches in diameter and wears, uh, um, weighs a couple of thousand pounds. But a lot more often, like I said, we make stuff that's the 10th of diameter of a human hair. My technical writer's going to yell at me because I'm <laughs> sure I got that number wrong. But um so that's that's a big misconception. The other misconception that I think that I always kind of bristle at is that manufacturing is meaningless button pushing work. We have a whole lot of really smart um people that have to think on their feet, that have to keep an eye on quality, that make materials that um can decide, you know, over life and and death if things go horribly wrong. And um that I think have fulfilling meaningful well-paying jobs yeah
0: yeah and and really a strength of our region there's a lot of companies that are doing really fascinating truly sort of world-changing work in our backyard and not a lot of people know about them (laughs) and foreign metals probably at the top of that list well
1: yeah we're near the top of them near the top of the
0: list okay (laughs) well that's that's some great humility um then the last question i'm going to change this one up i'm giving you some challenges So. You know, we, we've been through a global pandemic. We're still in it, but hopefully emerging out of it slowly but surely. What have you learned in the last year plus that you're, you're going to take into the future and, and use? And what do you think other people could learn from from what we've experienced?
1: I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing this has been said before by smarter people than me. But I think what I've learned is that if you look for it, there's always opportunity Um, the last year, year and a half have been really hard for, I think, all of us. But if you look at remote work, Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at all the things that weren't possible, that all of a sudden became possible overnight, Um, if you think about the way that people are thinking differently, um, I think there's just if you look at things the right way and have maybe the right people to support you and, and help you along, you can, you know, I'm not a big fan of the pull yourself up by your bootstraps analogy, because I think in a lot of time, a lot of cases, that's just false. I think, you know, yeah. if you're deep enough in the, in the, in the muck, it's going to be hard to do that. But yeah, th- there's, if you approach a situation the right way, you can always find a kernel of something that will help you along.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the benefit of and, and again, there's a lot of people who've had really dire circumstances over the last year. And yep. I don't wanna I don't want to, you know, diminish that at all. But for those of us who've been fortunate enough to come out of this with our health and, and everything else sure. intact, it we were operating on muscle memory. And Mm -hmm. then things sort of forced us to stop. And we learned how to adapt without all the benefits of how we used to work. We were forced to work in a different way. And now emerging out of it, we can go back to what was best about the way we used to work. But we're not beholden to that anymore. We've learned some new skills that hopefully can be... Um, you know, compliments to what we used to do and take the best of both those worlds and move forward in a way that I hope is going to spur on some innovation and already has. I mean, yep. you and I mentioned this too, that this podcast wouldn't exist if not for the pandemic, because yeah. it forced us to do something
1: different. Yep. Yeah. And thank you for that redirect there on, I mean, I, there are definitely people that have suffered in this pandemic in ways that will make it really hard to find that kernel of positivity. And I did definitely didn't want to discount that. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, well I think again it's it's one of those things where um you know you have to sort of individual you have to you have to respect the individualized experience and yep. know that everybody's gone through this a little bit differently but there are opportunities If you look for them, and that was true during the recession, as you learned from a job standpoint, that's true if you move to a different country, that's true if you change careers, and that's true even emerging out of everything we've been through the last year.
1: Yeah, fact.
0: Yeah. Well, it was very nice to meet you. You and I had not met, I don't think, in the real world. No, prior I don't think so. To tonight, although I knew you a little bit from the Internet. So it's a pleasure talking to you, and I'd, I'd love to talk more in the future. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you again in the real world sometime soon.